probably the nearest that my wife Renata, wherever she is, and I came to, she slipped out, okay. <laughs> well, anyway, good. So she, normally if I tell a story that includes her, she corrects me <laughs> while I'm preaching. Uh, so she's not here to do that. But uh, probably the nearest that she and I ever came to losing one of our children was in 1994. Uh, we were residing in Istanbul at the time, and I was the pastor of the Union Church of Istanbul. And we were living in, we had just moved into a new <clears throat> apartment complex that had uh, quite a large swimming pool. It was a large complex, and it had in the center of it uh, a large swimming pool. Uh, which is a great place to meet your neighbors. And uh, this pool could be seen from our kitchen window. And on this particular day, in fact, I think it was a Sunday afternoon, uh, for some reason, Anna Kate was just two years old at the time, our oldest daughter. And she was down at the pool with me, playing with some toys on the edge of the pool. And Christoph was up with Renata in our apartment. And Annika was uh, playing happily with her toys, and I was swimming laps, and no one else was around. Suddenly, while doing a turn at the end of the pool that was farthest from Annika, I heard Renata yelling frantically from our kitchen window, Jim, get Annika! Later, I learned that Renata had glanced out the window just as Anna Kate had gotten up from her play spot, had toddled over to the edge of the pool, had bent down to try to feel the water, I guess, the temperature of the water, and just continued bending and just dove right in and uh, obviously began to sink. By the time that Renata had gotten my attention, Anna was thoroughly submerged and thoroughly unable to save herself. Renata, however, had hoped that Anna Kate uh, could be saved, of course, and she acted upon that hope by trying to get my attention so that I could get over there and save her. We could say that Jeremiah had hope upon which he acted. While still a young man, Jeremiah was sensitive to the call of God upon his life. You can read in Jeremiah chapter 1 about uh, Jeremiah's call, his prophetic call uh, given by God himself. And God led him into prophetic ministry. And uh, Jeremiah went on to act upon that call. He preached uh, against the idolatry, and, and you can get example after example of his uh, sermons or his prophecies in the remainder of the book of Jeremiah. He preached against idolatry because Israel and Judah had been drawn into the worship of Baal, uh, the Canaanite god. And we even read in, in uh, chapter 19 of Jeremiah, <clears throat> verses 4 through 5, I believe, that, uh, that they were even 
some of the Israelites, uh, Judeans, they were sacrificing their children to the god Molech, uh, a practice of the Canaanites that was just loathsome to the Lord. And Jeremiah also preached against the greed of Judah's priests and against the lies of Judah's prophets. Uh, the land was filled with prophets that gave people false hopes that contrived their own prophecies, not prophecies from the Lord. And Jeremiah very boldly spoke against such false prophets. And uh, his preaching got him into all kinds of trouble, as you can imagine, with the authorities in the land. The people of Judah had spurned God's covenant with them, and as a consequence for their blatant disobedience, God had become indignant, righteously indignant, and he had withdrawn his blessings from his people. However, driven by a courageous confidence, Jeremiah kept trying to turn God's people back to him. Even when Jeremiah was in exile, he was among those who went into Egypt. Uh, the people of Judah had put, the kings of Judah really had put a false hope in, in Egypt, that Egypt could save them from Babylon. Uh, and, uh, but as it turned out, uh, many Judeans also went into exile in Egypt, and Jeremiah was among those, and that is where he died. But even till the end, or until the end of our record of his prophesying, we have him diligently trying to turn God's people back to God, to the God of hope. Mind you, there were times <clears throat> when even Jeremiah seemed to be on the verge of hopelessness. Uh, even people who are faithful to God sometimes struggle with uh, this sense of hopelessness or sense of, where is God? Where is God? He seems to have abandoned us. And although God had promised Jeremiah protection in, his, in the call, in, in chapter 1, verses Eight, for example, in verse 19, God promised Jeremiah protection that his enemies and the people would not harm him. Still, Jeremiah felt that God had not only let him down by letting him suffer again and again, at times very intensely, but even that God had misled him. We see these in, in laments that Jeremiah gives throughout the book of Jeremiah. He's very honest. He's very open with his emotional outpouring uh, toward the Lord. And we get this most strongly in chapter 20 of Jeremiah, where we read extremely uh, shocking words that Jeremiah uh, says to God and that are recorded for our our benefit for when we feel this way. But Jeremiah says there in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7, he says, Lord, you deceived me, and I was deceived. 
Imagine saying that to God. And the word that Jeremiah uses here for deceived is is the same word that's used elsewhere in Exodus chapter 22 for seduction. You can imagine a young woman seduced by a man saying to that seducer, you deceived me. That is the kind of message that Jeremiah here is giving to the Lord. Yet even amidst the physical pain and the public shame, and the emotional anger that that permeate Jeremiah's complaint in this chapter, you can still find evidence. You can still find evidence in verses 11 through 13 of Jeremiah chapter 20 of his enduring faith and hope, even in the midst of this lament. And his faith and hope... Jeremiah's faith and hope sustained him through even the worst of times that he had to face. Therefore, Jeremiah is not only known to us as a prophesier of judgment, but also as a proclaimer of hope. And our passage today is a wonderful example of such a proclamation. The immediate context here is that the Babylonian army has Jerusalem in a state of siege. The Babylonian army is surrounding Jerusalem. And this wasn't just for a few days or for a few weeks. We're talking about 18 months. We know uh, that this siege started uh, in probably December of 589 B.C., and that it lasted until 587 B.C. And by the end of this siege, the people in Jerusalem were in a horrible, a state of horrible deprivation. It's amazing what archaeologists can learn, but they have, uh, they, they found this layer of destruction. This siege was followed by the burning of the city and the destruction of the city, and, and it's, it's there. That layer can be found. And certain houses were protected in a way whereby they were able to be studied more in depth. In other words, they didn't fully burn. And one of these houses had a, a latrine in it, a, a fancy toilet and a latrine. And they were able to determine from the layers in that latrine kind of the upper layer, that the, the, the people of Jerusalem were eating, by the end of that siege, weeds, and even uh, the meat of their domesticated animals, uh, their precious animals. They had to kill them, and they ate them uncooked because of, uh, they had no wood to burn. So these people were suffering uh, terribly. And it was a time when uh, the people of Jerusalem especially, and really surrounding Judah, they needed words of hope. They were desperate for words of hope. So even though they were headed into exile, Jeremiah, especially in chapters 30 through 33, Uh, but also in chapter 29, he gives them message after message of hope. 
And therefore, Jeremiah is known as not just the prophet of judgment, but also the prophet of hope. And what Jeremiah proclaims to his fellow countrymen in 33, 14 through 16, are also words of hope for us today. Uh, These words of hope have various levels of fulfillment. To some extent, they were uh, fulfilled after 70 years when the people were brought back into the land from exile. But there is a very real sense in which fulfillment is still taking place today and will continue to take place until the end of time. We are in no state of siege Thank God, as even though we're in an old city, kind of surrounded by walls, we can easily get out, and um, we're not uh, in any kind of state of siege. But, but you may be in a state of sadness or despair today. You might feel as though you are stuck in a in a cheerless situation, and you don't know what to do. You may have in your heart this honest emotional anger toward God for not helping you out of the situation that you're in. You may feel feel stuck. You may feel let down. You might even use those two unbearable words to describe your situation today. No hope. If you're a person who is feeling rather hopeless today, then you're in real peril. And you need the words of hope that we find here. And in this short but rich passage, we learn about the character, the creator, and the completer of hope the character, the creator, and the completer of hope. The character of hope, and by that I mean the nature or the essence of hope, is introduced by the prophetic formula at uh, the beginning of this passage, the days are coming. The days are coming. Now, that can introduce both judgment and hope. but it, it is a prophetic formula that, in this case, very clearly, as we read on, uh, is in an introduction uh, of, of hope. Because it speaks of the fulfillment of the good promise that the Lord made to the people of Israel and Judah. And at first, the listener or uh, reader of this prophecy could think of a nearby passage. I know we haven't read it, but in Jeremiah 29, verse 10, just... Uh, a few couple of chapters before where we are now, we read this, uh, kind of a similar message. This is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. So that's a promise that was made to Judah, that is to the southern tribes of Israel. Uh, But here in chapter 33, verses 14 through 16, 
This promise, take note, is made to Israel and Judah, to both the northern tribes and the southern tribes. So we know that the promise here, the good promise that's being referred to is not just the promise to bring them back to this land. There's more to it than that. And um, better days are coming. Better days are coming when God's promise will be fulfilled. And again, we'll get to just what these better days will entail in a moment. But uh, let me talk further before moving on about the character of hope because we can further understand hope by making a distinction between false hope and sure hope or safe hope. For example, if we would go back a little further in Jeremiah 23, verse 16, uh, we can get an example of Jeremiah's uh, prophesying against the false prophets of the land. Okay, so in Jeremiah 23, verse 16, we read this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. One of the messages that these false prophets gave to Zedekiah, the king of uh, Judah at this time, was that, uh, call upon Egypt. Egypt will save you. Get help from Egypt. Well, that was a false hope. It ended up being uh, a, a disaster for Judah to put their trust in Egypt. If we read a little further on in chapter 29, verse 11, we come across a verse that is very familiar to, uh, I think, most everyone here. It's one of of my favorite verses in all of the Old Testament. It says, Isaiah, pardon me, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now, this is an example of a sure hope or a safe hope because it comes from the Lord. And ultimately, God is the one who is in control of prosperity and of judgment. He determines uh, whom he prospers and whom he judges. And so, whether a hope is false or sure depends really on its ultimate source, from whom that hope comes. We can also make a distinction between uncertain hope and certain hope. Uh, This helps me, anyway, to understand hope better. For example, Our dear sister, Debbie Hudson, when she was still alive and struggling for life, uh, just uh, weeks ago, uh, six, eight weeks ago, all of us prayed fervently. I mean, maybe not 
all of us, not everyone here knows her, but those of us who are regular members were praying fervently and, uh, and hoping that she would recover from her illness. But it was an uncertain hope. It was an uncertain hope because we, none of us were fully sure what the Lord's will was in the matter. Nevertheless, we prayed and prayed. We hoped and hoped. And in the end, the Lord took her home. But while that hope for her recovery was uncertain, there was still that certain hope that we shared that no matter what happened, she would be in God's care. He would would give her the complete healing, and he would consummate her salvation uh, no matter what happened with regard to her illness. And we could entrust our sister Debbie Hudson to the good and gracious God above, and we could do that confidently. A verse that is little known, really, but a verse that uh, really helps one to understand the reason why some hopes are certain and one, some hopes are uncertain is Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. Deuteronomy 29, 29, where we read this. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow the words of his law. So the, the, cert, the, the secret things of God, the things that he doesn't reveal to us ahead of time, these give rise to uncertain hopes. Now those uncertain hopes may still be safe hopes because they're in God. They're not necessarily false hopes. Don't misunderstand me. But they are uncertain because we don't necessarily know God's will in these matters. But all that he has revealed to us in Scripture and in his Son, Jesus Christ, gives rise to certain hopes. Certain hopes that are as guaranteed as the fact that history has happened. That's how sure these hopes are that are revealed to us, that are based on revelation in God's Word and in God's Son. The character of hope, then, is that better days are coming. And here, that hope is both safe and certain because it comes from the creator of hope, who is the Lord. A great passage that brings out this truth very clearly that God, the Father, is the creator of hope, is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. And there we read this. He, that is Christ, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, You believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, 
And so your faith and hope are in God. So God is the creator of hope. And in our passage today, that is our passage from Jeremiah today, we read, the days are coming, declares the Lord. It's his good promise that we will fulfill, that, pardon me, that he will fulfill. And thus God's people can have a safe and certain hope that better days are ahead. And what is that good promise? Well, if we read on in Jeremiah 33, we find out what that good promise is. Verse 15, in those days, that is the days that are coming, and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is essentially the same promise that is given in Jeremiah 23, verses 5 through 6, echoed almost word for word. And it's originally given in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. I'm throwing a lot of passages at you today. I'm sorry. But there in 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, David, King David, that is the king of the United Kingdom, of the northern and the southern tribes, and thus we have both Israel and Judah, David is given this promise that someone from his lineage will reign and will be the ideal king. That is the king who sums up in himself all that a king should be and infinitely more. And this good promise is of Jesus, our Savior and Lord and King. Jesus is the completer of our hope. He brings the hope that God creates to completion. Verse 16b, this is the name by which it will be called, that is, which our hope will be called, the Lord our righteous Savior. That is a messianic title, a messianic name for our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of God's good promises. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, pardon me, in 2 Thessalonians, now I'm confusing even myself. <laughs> in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 through 17, we, we read this. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Isn't that a marvelous pair of verses? The character of hope is that better days are coming. The creator of hope is God the Father, and the completer of hope is our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me put it 
this way for you, friends. When we were sinking down, Christ laid aside his crown, was born in a little town to give to us his righteous gown. By the time Renata finally got my attention from our kitchen window, way back in 1994, two-year-old Anna Kate was sinking down, helpless in water that was way over her head. The rush in my body, the, the adrenaline rush in my body was instantaneous, as you can imagine. And... I believe I would have beaten Michael Phelps as I swam faster than I've ever swum uh, from uh, that far end of the pool to where Anna Kate was sinking down. And when I got to her, I dove down and I fetched her. And I lifted her up and I laid her on the side of the pool. And she blinked and looked up at me got up as if nothing had happened and went back to playing. I think it was then that she began her love for diving. (laughs) But in a nutshell, friends, that is what God the Father has done for us in Christ. That is what God the Father has done for us in Christ. In humanity's helplessness, in our inability to save ourselves from sin and death, God the Father torpedoed toward us in Christ with his strong arm to save. When we were sinking down, Christ laid aside his crown, born in a little town, to give us his righteous gown. Let us pray. Father in heaven, your plan of salvation is so different from what any human being would have ever contrived. It is marvelous beyond words. And as we prepare to celebrate these comings of your son to this earth, first in Bethlehem, then into each of our lives as we live here on this earth and come to know you through your Son, Jesus Christ, your love and your grace, your forgiveness. And then as we anticipate and prepare for the second coming, when he shall return to this earth in all his glory, we pray, O Lord, that you would speak to us by your Spirit, that you would build up our faith 
and our ability and determination to serve as witnesses of your advent to this earth and of your salvation in our lives and through your Son. We're so thankful to be recipients of your grace. We're so thankful for one another that we are together in this local body of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's out of honor, praise, and thanksgiving to Him that we worship today. Amen.